Welcome back for our final supplemental re-engage lesson together. The goal of this lesson is to remind us all that if we don't put into practice the things that we've learned, we'll drift back into the marriages we had before re-engage began. It's natural to want to take a break and rest after a season of hard work, but don't stop. Use this lesson as encouragement to diligently invest in your relationship, in your pursuit of God, and in all the ways we've explored together over the past 14 weeks. Thriving marriages require diligence. It's how God designed it to be. What's diligence, you ask? Well, I'm sure that you're not asking that, but it's in your notes. Diligence, it's careful and persistent work or effort. Careful and persistent work and effort. Working hard at something without quitting, without getting distracted. A thriving marriage requires that approach, to work hard at it. You do it without quitting, without getting distracted. We're called to faithfully work on our marriage in season and out of season when things are feeling great and things are not. It's also though, it's really, it's worth stressing. We have to be diligent when out of season, when it's getting really hard. So what does it take to remain diligent in marriage? Well, I wanna look at Colossians chapter three verses 12 through 14. And this is a passage that is not directly about marriage, though it definitely applies to marriage, but it won't be long in Colossians 3. It's only a few verses later that he does start talking directly to husbands and wives. But let's look at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14 and see what Paul says. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let's dive in with the first point here. What it takes to be diligent. Number one, we need to remember who we are. So remember who you are. He starts this section off with the words, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Before we get to the imperatives of what we're supposed to do, Paul gives us the indicatives of who we are. In Christ, we're God's chosen people. We're holy and dearly loved. I mean, there is so much good news packed into those few words. But we forget. I think that so many of the problems we encounter in life and so many of the problems we encounter in marriage can be traced back to a form of amnesia about our identity. We forget who we are. It makes me think of a story that Ben Fuquay told me about a time that he got on a plane and he sat next to a man from Saudi Arabia. The two of them started talking they just hit it off. This guy was really extroverted. And if you know Ben, you know that it's impossible not to like him. He's the nicest guy in the world, real friendly. And so this, this man from Saudi Arabia just warmed up to Ben and they, they just talked in the flight. And it turns out that this man just, I guess he was a billionaire. He's in the oil business and... By the time the flight was over, the, the man was giving Ben his card and saying, hey man, look, we, I had to fly you and your wife out 
some time to, to hang out. We, let's, let's, let's do a vacation or something. So this guy warmed up to Ben immediately. Ben, you know, kind of went along and said, sure, sure. He didn't expect to hear from this man. Well, a period of time passes. He gets a phone call and it's this man that he, that he met on the plane. And he says, hey, I'm going to be out in, in Rome in a, a couple months. And would you and Danielle want to come out and you know, we'll, we'll hang out in Rome? Ben talked to Danielle and they said, sure, why not? So they got on a plane. They, they, they were flown out by this man. They stayed in this extremely nice hotel in Rome. But when they got there, they got a, a notification that the man that they were going to meet couldn't make it after all. Something came up. And so now Ben and Danielle were on their own in Rome in a very expensive hotel. They order their first meal. They get the, the tab and it was way beyond, uh, way out of their budget. So anytime they were hungry, they would leave the hotel. They'd walk to the nearest equivalent of a Wendy's or something. I don't know what they have in Italy there, but they were living, you know, just kind of, they were enjoying themselves, but they were out of their league financially. A few days pass, they get a phone call. It's the man that they had met and they said, hey, he said, hey, Ben, are you guys having a, a good time? Or, he said, yeah, it's, this is great. And he said, all right, well, are you ordering room service and getting massages and stuff? And Ben said, no, I, well, we're not. I mean, I don't think we can afford it. The man said, hey, you know, no, no, it's on me. Charge it all to my tab. This, is, this whole thing is on me. And the second half of that trip took a big turn. <laughs> ben and Danielle, they, they ordered room service. They got massages. They did it, they, they did it all. And see that first half of their trip, it was still on that man's tab, but they were living like, like beggars in a sense, in a very nice context. Second half was completely changed because the reality of, of that status became a reality in the way they lived. The same is true for us as we forget who we are. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing we can imagine in Christ. We, we are co-heirs with Christ. We're adopted children of God. And if you just read the first couple chapters of Ephesians, we're spiritual billionaires. We're loved by God. He's got our back. The all-powerful God is our Father and he is caring for us in everything. But when we forget our identity, it, it plays itself out in a myriad of ways. We start to live like we're poor, like we're spiritually poor. Like God might be folding his arms at us, you know, shaking his head, disappointed in us. We might feel like we're damaged goods or we're a hopeless cause or we're lesser than. Or on the flip side, you might think that you're all that. You know, I'm not what's wrong with the world. I'm a good guy. What's amazing, when you look at the cross, the cross has an amazing ability to lift up the humble and to humble the proud. When, when I look at the cross, my identity gets a check because I see I'm such, a, I'm, such a, I'm such a sinner that my savior had to die on a cross for me. And at the same time, I'm so loved by God that my savior died on a cross for me. It's a great way of keeping me humble and giving me confidence at the same time. 
But when I lose my sense of identity, I forget who I am, I get lost. And one of these aspects of our identity is that we're dearly loved by God. You know, if you ask me, in my opinion, I'm pretty good at loving Brandy when I feel loved by her. I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good at loving Brandy when I feel loved by her. I didn't say that I, I'm good at loving her all the time, but when I feel loved by her. Not when she's loving me well, because there's times where she loves me, but I don't feel like she's loving me. You know, that's, I'm throwing myself under the bus a little bit, but there's some truth to it. When I feel loved by her, I do a great job of loving her, but when I don't feel loved by her, I start to get shaky. I start to, uh, I start to get cold, I start to get resentful. That's a shaky foundation for loving another person is based on how well they love you. But the truth is, if I root my identity in the love of someone who is infinitely able to love me well, love me unconditionally, someone who knows everything about me and yet loves me totally, that is a solid foundation. When I know that I'm loved by God, that capacity is filled. It enables me to love others well. And it says in 1 John chapter 4 that we love because he first loved us. So Paul, he replants our hope that we're loved. He replants it in being loved by the world. No, he, we're to be uprooted and find our identity planted in the fact that God loves us. We're holy and dearly loved by him. God loved us while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This love is so secure that at our worst, he loved us perfectly and profoundly. You are wholly known by God. He knows you. He knows who you are. He knows everything about us. Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you discern my thoughts from afar. God knows what you're going to think before you even think it. And he chose you. He chose you, it says in Ephesians 1, that in love, he predestined us. Before we were born, he set his affection on us. He fully knows us. Love isn't blind with God. The one who knows you the most loves you the most. Does that motivate you? That God, the all-knowing, all-wise, the only one whose opinion matters, God loves you. Are you motivated by that love? Are you motivated by trying to earn God's love or by the fact that he loves you? If you remember who you are, it puts supernatural wind in your sails. And here's the other thing, we're holy in him. That's something I easily forget. It says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There are times where I know that it says that God chose me and I, I find comfort in that, but I also might find comfort in the fact that Brandy chose me, but we've gone through seasons where I know that if she could unchoose me, she might at this point because I'm not easy to live with. And, and I, I can draw comfort from the fact that she chose me at one point, but then I can also get very unnerved by the fact that she's probably feeling like she made a mistake. But God 
He chose us and there's no buyer's remorse with him. He, he chose us. He set his affection on us and he doesn't change his mind because he's made us holy. He sees us as perfect. You're holy to God. It literally means you're set apart for God. I'm reminding you of, of this because it's more than an encouraging sentiment. There's more here in the first part of Colossians 3, uh, verse 12. In Christ, you're holy and dearly loved. God has declared you holy despite your track record. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And I hope you're not getting scripture overload with all of this, but I'm just, I'm taking inventory of who we are here. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a savior who came and took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is saying. Imagine it this way. You're in a classroom. You're all taking a test. Everybody flunks the test. You flunk the test. You're going to fail. But there's this one bell curve busting student named Jesus, and he gets an A plus on the test. And then when it's time to turn the tests, Jesus takes his name, erases it, and he puts your name on the top of the A plus, and he erases your name, and he puts his name on the test that has an F. Jesus took our F upon himself and gave us his A plus. We're holy. That's what it means. And it's not a legal fiction. It's a, it's a reality. Is that how you view yourself? You know, if you view yourself as holy, you're less apt, you're less likely to lose your temper over something or to throw your spouse under the bus. When you see how dearly you've been loved, it makes it easier to dearly love your spouse. It's built on the foundation of our identity in Christ. This identity applies to us, but that leads to the next point. We remember who we are, but then we need to remember who our spouse is. Remember who your spouse is. All these things that I've mentioned about you, they're true for your spouse. Your spouse is holy and dearly loved. Your spouse is chosen by God. Your spouse is wholly known by God. Now think about that. God knows your spouse. Are there times where you, figure, you can't figure out your spouse? God knows him. God knows her. Your spouse is chosen by God. He would never unchoose your spouse. Your spouse is holy to God. Are you ever tempted to villainize your spouse? It's certainly not how God treats him or her. It's also not how God treats you. He doesn't villainize you. He wants to use whatever challenges you, you face in marriage, whatever setbacks, he wants to use those to stretch you, to even to break you, to conform you to the image of his son. He's making you more and more into the people that he's saved you to be. He is making you more and more into the people you are saved to be. And yet the reality is until Christ takes us home, we're gonna continue to struggle as sinners. We're anything but perfect. And as you encounter those sinful t inconsistencies in yourself and in your spouse, you need to remember who you are and who your spouse is. 
And God wants to use your marriage to help move you toward who you are. You're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You, we need to get our lives from this. We need to find our joy, find our hope in this. Plead with the Lord to make this a reality. That is going to be a major thing that fuels us out of season when things are getting difficult. Remember who you are and remember who your spouse is. And I'll just ask this question quickly. What if your spouse isn't a Christian? What do you do with that? Well, I would just say, write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Answer that question. If your spouse isn't a Christian, it might be that God is actually rescuing your spouse through his rescue of you. He says, be faithful to, to your spouse, even if they're not in Christ. What if you're not? What if you don't believe in Christ? If you're not, if you don't have saving faith in him? I, honestly, my application to you would be the same as it is to me and to everybody else who's listening, because this is a daily walk of learning what it means to walk in faith. And the same grace that rescued me when I was saved is the same grace, it's the same faith that I need to walk by on a daily basis. Because I keep forgetting that it's in Christ alone that I'm sanctified, that I'm made holy, that I'm rescued. It's the same grace that saved me is the same grace that helps me walk on a daily basis. It's based on not my performance, but it's based on what Jesus did 2000 years ago. So what does this have to do with diligence? Everything. There's no more effective way to persevere when you're discouraged than by getting your eyes off yourself or off your spouse and onto God. Remember who you are and remember who your spouse is. And the last thing is we need to learn to live accordingly. This is who you are. So dress accordingly. That's what it says in the second half of verse 12. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If you're holy and dearly loved by God, then clothe yourselves with these things. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We need to be reminded of this stuff all the time, but it's supposed to be this is supposed to be a natural outworking of what God wants to do in our hearts. We dress all the time according to our identity. You know, it happens in all different places. You could spot someone, yeah, that guy's a golfer. Look, look at those, look at those shoes. You know, the, the, the whole outfit, you can just see a golfer. You could see that some people, that guy's, a, he's a businessman. Uh, there's a college student. The, the people dress in, according to who they are. Now, if you clothe yourself with hostility, with resentment, with selfishness, those things, that's just inconsistent with who we are in Christ, right? But if you clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, well, that's a natural outworking of the fact that we're holy and dearly loved in Christ. And what's really interesting in all these, these things, I'm going to define some of these words. You see an internal thing being worked outwardly. For example, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. What, what is compassion? 
Compassion is an awareness of and a sympathy for another's suffering. That's an inner condition. He says, clothe yourselves with that inner condition. And if you are, it's going to work itself out in kindness. Compassion leads naturally to kindness. Kindness is benevolence in action. That's an outward demeanor. So compassion, inward, if you clothe yourself with that, it's going to work itself out with kindness. I see this with humility. Humility is a lowly attitude toward God. I mean, who am I, God, that you would love me? And, and who am I that you would favor me? That, that's a, a proper understanding of yourself. That's an inward attitude. But gentleness is the outward working out of humility. It's a lowly attitude toward others. That's gentleness. I see it here with patience. Patience is an inward attitude. It's long suffering, having a long fuse. Well, if you have patience, then you're going to have forbearance or bear with each other. Verse 13, forbearance or bearing with each other, that's being enduring with one another. That's an outworking of patience. Forgiveness. Well, forgiveness here is actually, there's two different words in the New Testament for forgiveness. This word means freely and graciously giving. The idea is not exacting a payment. You're, you're treating someone better than they deserve. If you're patient, you're going to be treating them generously. You're going to be forgiving of them. These aspects, these characteristics are natural outworkings of our identity in Christ. If you're quick to anger instead of being long-suffering, the root is probably a lack of mercy, a lack of lowliness. In other words, being chosen, holy, and loved, those things have not broken your heart and brought you down, brought you out of your self-centeredness, lack of trust. The solution, it goes back to the basics of the Christian faith, remembering who you are in Christ. You don't graduate from these things. These are the, the, the truths that apply to all aspects of our life. But if you want to apply it to marriage, this is what it takes to be diligent. Remember who you are. Remember who your spouse is and live accordingly. Get your life from this and your joy from this. I think this passage is honestly, it's both a quick fix when you have a difficult weekend, when you're stuck in a fight, this passage, Colossians 3, is like the control-alt-delete that allows you to stop and reset. But it's also, it's the long-term formula for diligence. I've had arguments with Brandy that this is the passage that I've gone to. On more than one occasion, it has reset me. I've stopped and I've evaluated myself. Am I being compassionate? when I'm in a standoff, you know, when we're angry at each other, am I being compassionate? Am I being humble? Am I being kind? The answer is always no in those situations. And then I have to stop and look, am I remembering who I am? Holy and dearly loved by God. And, and we're called to forgive as the Lord forgave you. Am I forgiving the same way God has forgiven me? This passage resets me. And it's reset me. I believe it will reset me again. It's, what, it's the passage that I've used to be diligent. And I'm hoping it blesses you, enables you to be diligent as well as you pursue 
a, th- a growing and thriving marriage. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us so many different words of encouragement, of, of challenge, of life. Things that we can just lift right off of the pages uh, of your word and, and chew on it, think on it, and be transformed by it. So would you allow us, wherever we are in our marriages, would you allow us to strive to be diligent, to, to work at our marriages in such a way that we don't quit no matter what? And then would you bless us and would you do that in us by reminding us of who we are, of how you've declared that we are holy and dearly loved. We're chosen by you. We are privileged. And you're going to give us what we need to allow our marriages to thrive. But would you do that? Would you do that in us and for us? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To live the way Colossians 3 outlines, you have to stay connected to God, to his word, and to his community. If you're finding yourself in a bit of a rut in your spiritual life, try something different. Christ Chapel offers so many ways to learn, grow, and be sharpened in your relationships. Just like you and your marriage, we're not perfect, but we're a good church that desires to pursue Jesus daily. So give something a shot and allow God to work in whatever circumstances or seasons you are in. We're here for you, so don't hesitate to reach out.